So we're back in 2 Corinthians today. And we're going to rewind just a little bit from where we were last week because we did jump over some scripture to get where we were for the service that included all the kids. But I do want to share. Um, I've been in such a big battle with my heart and with my flesh and with my emotions. I've made decisions for which I'm reaping the consequences now. And I constantly have to check again and again of where my heart is set. What are my eyes focused on? What is the priority of my life? I wrote at 12.30, I said, I've distracted myself with so much from the things of the world that I feel like I have nothing to offer. So I will offer what I know that I need. Our focus is to be unhindered. Paul was a tent maker, but for what purpose was he a tent maker? To remove the burden of his ministry. Work on those he served. And in Paul's case, that was a great thing because Paul faced attack after attack, trying to discredit him and trying to undermine the work of, for the gospel that he was doing. His opponents saw him as weak and needy, as someone who changed their mind and was closed to other ideas of what the gospel could be. They tried to undermine his authority by assuming it for themselves. So you'll see a lot of times in Paul's letters, he has to go about to defend himself against those people, to reassure the congregations, the church, of what his intentions are, what his priorities are, what his focus is, and what his motivation is. He constantly points back to them that they are the fruit of the work that God is doing through him. And he brings about a lot of that assessment on himself. Analyze my motivations. Analyze my, my thoughts and what I and what I do. Look and see and compare. Judge for yourself. He asserted the authority God had given him, and he was driven not by power that he had. He was, in his words, compelled by Christ for the sake of his people. He was compelled by Christ for the sake of his people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 13 through 15, he says, If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. He's crazy. Oh, I'm crazy. I'm crazy for God. That's what he's saying. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Paul, even, if his, even in his small defense of people calling him crazy, he goes, I'm crazy because of the gospel, because of what Jesus did. That's why I'm crazy. I'm crazy for God. I'm crazy for you. He doesn't live for himself. 
He lives for Jesus, and he led by example for the church to do the same. Despite the suffering he faced and the hardship that they would face, his instruction echoes the teaching of Christ, speaking about the priority that God should hold in our lives. And that's the main point I want to bring about today. What is the priority that God holds in your lives? Because I think it's something that we have to constantly check against our heart. And we can look at our actions and our motivations and the things that we say and the things that we do and what we invest our time into to see, is God really the first priority in our life or is he something secondary? Is he just a security blanket or is he my entire life? Personally, I'm torn. I find many areas in my life that are devoted to God. Time set aside specifically for him, actions and service, and these other kinds of things that are, that are motivated by and for him. But I think I find myself disappointed in the ways that I waste much of the rest of the time. Or at least I find it a, a waste in regard, uh, in comparison to those times. I'm disappointed in the ways of how I uh, devote myself in many ways. And I evaluate it this way. Am I taking my time to bless and to serve others, or am I simply serving myself? I'll say that one more time. Am I taking the time to bless and to serve others, or am I simply serving myself? Do I dedicate these moments to myself and to fulfilling my wants, or do I consider with thankfulness what God has done for me? Because that thankfulness is the key. That thankfulness is a, is a huge key to our own contentment. It's a huge key to our response of our actions of what we do. Because if we're really truly thankful of what God did in our life, there's a response that comes out of that. Like when your parents give you a, a, a present and you're thankful for that present, you say thank you and you run up and hug them, right? Well, maybe not anymore. That might be weird if you're really old. <laughs> but that's, that's what we do. Do I dedicate these moments to myself and fulfilling my wants, or do I consider with thankfulness what God has done for me? A lack of contentment, anxiety, and worry are all indicators that I should check my heart. We are in a war of spirit. And I think it feels like drowning, hit by wave after wave of worries and doubt and needs and distractions and temptations. And all of it is so much, all I want to do is everything to slow down and for things to get calm so I can just tread water peacefully. Paul mentions this as well. He is fighting and persevering, moving towards the hope that he has in Christ. And for his devotion, his hardship, he does not despair. Instead, it increases. He came up against more and more resistance when he was obedient to God's call. But to him, it was not a condemning discouragement. They were the cost of following Christ. And so to him, the sufferings he faced were actually a motivation, a reassurance, a validation of the gospel, of what God was doing. 
even though he was often um, discouraged in his path that he followed, he often voiced his dependence on God and his deep need for the encouragement of his brothers and sisters in Christ. Through all he faced, he desired to make clear and unhindered the gospel which produced faith in people. Let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3 here. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance in troubles, hardships, and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, Bad report, good report. Now we see at verse 8, things kind of transition. He's not just enduring through the good. He's enduring through, through both. Through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report. Genuine yet discarded, excuse me, yet regarded as imposters. Known yet regarded as unknown. Dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing what? Everything. How do you get to that point? How do you get there where your entire life fades away? in response to what God has done for you. Paul wrote verse 11, We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and open wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding your affection from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. We love you. We care for you. We suffer for you. Won't you please receive us and love us back? That's what Paul is saying. And love us back, not for us, but love us back for the sake of the gospel. That's what he always brings it back to. Others had attempted to undo his influence by discrediting him, but he urged the Corinthians not to join themselves to anyone who did not follow Jesus. He tells them to take pride in what is presented by the actions and affections of his heart. This was the context for last week. Don't yoke or pair yourselves with unbelievers. Pair yourselves to God's people as God pairs himself to us. We too can test his genuineness, his apostolic authority, based on what it was that he had endured. He suffered for Christ for our sake, sacrificing the essence of his life for the advancement of the gospel. And so to analyze Paul, we see a disciple of Jesus leading by example with the entirety of his life, urging others to follow Christ as well. 
There's a reason that we recognize the authority that God gave Paul to lead the early church. And great evidence by both life and world that life and word that he was led by the Holy Spirit when he was inspired to write much of the New Testament letters. Would he have ever been able to fathom the significance and value that God was using him for in his lifetime? That he would have the privilege to be the servant through which those furthest away from God would find him and come to know the truth. And he, Paul, was simply faithful. With his trust in his Savior, his power not his own, but given by God. His eyes fixed on the hope that he had, God with him and God for him forever. Free from the suffering and darkness of life and glorified with Christ. That's what Paul had his eyes focused on. If we continue 2 Corinthians, you're going to jump down a little bit over the section about don't yoke yourself to unbelievers. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2 through 4. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. That's devotion. That's commitment. That's love. I've spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. Why does his joy know no bounds? Because they received the gospel. That's where his joy was found. And Paul's struggle is over now. His part in the battle for souls is won. And even still, Paul today is attacked on the authorship of his work. But Paul, by what he endured for the truth to spread the news of Jesus' death and resurrection, proved that God did something miraculous through his life. He made every measure to remove all accusation, all conflict, all barriers to the gospel. He says, we are punished for Christ and we do it for your sake to save you. He says, relatively, who will you trust, the big talkers or the true walkers? We suffer, we hold to the truth. Read the resolve again in chapter 6, 8 through 10. He goes, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as imposters, known yet regarded as unknown, yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. He credits his perseverance to God, his value and treasure found in Christ. And all throughout the New Testament, he echoes Christ. He pleads with them to join God's people and take hold of the life that is truly life. The life that truly is life. He's talking about being born again. 
He's talking about walking by the Spirit. And if you haven't accepted Christ, then you don't know what I'm talking about yet. To have God is to receive Jesus as your Savior, to put your faith in Him, to declare Him as your Lord, your commander, the one who loves you, the one who gave His life for you, the one who died for your sins and rose again, not only conquering death, and conquering sin, but also proving to you that the hope that you have in him is not in vain. The hope you have in him is for a resurrected life, both now and forever with him. Oh, and as a bonus, you get to go to that nice place and be with him. And that is true. Heaven is the bonus, not the goal. Heaven in any realm could only be the goal because that's where God is. That's the only reason to be there. But we don't have to wait until then to have him. Those who put their faith in Christ have him now, despite what they've done or what they will do. Because they put their faith in Jesus as their Lord, as their Savior, they have God now. Ask them about it. Ask them about it. Watch their lives. You will see the goodness, the blessing, the love of God pour out of their lives. Even with his encouragement, the record of a life that persevered to the finish line, which he called us all to do, charged us all to do. This is such a huge battle for us, living for the unseen. But that is what hope is, right? We are living for our hope. We're living for something that we do not yet have. It is a life that demands all of our devotion to God. For us to be intentional, not accidental with our faith. It's something that we cannot do alone. We need him. We need his people. We need his word. And we need the grace of God that comes through Christ to wash over us again and again and again. Every day, reassuring us of our position in him. Not measured by what we have done or what we will do, but measured by the merit of Christ, what Christ did. That's how you know tomorrow if you die that you will be with him forever because of what Jesus did for you. So be intentional, not accidental with our faith. We can't do it alone. We cannot. We need those who went before us as encouragement. We need God to be with us as we go. And we need the hope of a life lived forever with him. And we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to lock arms with us today. To join yourselves not to unbelievers, but to yoke yourselves to believers, those following the path of Christ. Listen to Paul's perspective on his letter 
to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. He says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the unsurpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. What is it in your life that you have yet to consider garbage in comparison to Christ? What is it that you're holding tight to? What is it that's distracting you or tempting you? What pride or prize are you holding on to that is of greater value than Jesus is? To you. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ Jesus as my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from, my, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and, par- and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and somehow attaining resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or that I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I live for God because God got me. He took me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to yet have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature should take a view of such things. And if it on some point you think differently, that God, that to God will make clear to you. Only let let us live up to what we've already attained. Join together in following my example, Paul says. Brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with my tears, many live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on what? Earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the way of the Lord. Excuse me. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Edoya, and I plead with Cynthia, 
to be the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, to help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause for the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Set your eyes on God's hope. Your security in Jesus. Your satisfaction, peace, and contentment in Him. I'll say that one part again. Set your eyes on God's hope. Your security in Jesus. Your satisfaction and peace and contentment in Him. Remember, a lack of contentment or anxiety and worry are all indicators that I should check my heart. Set your eyes on the hope that God has in store for you and the promises that He is with you now and will see you through. So much of our lives is given to earthly distractions, so much on worry and so much on hate, but this is what God says is the cure. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. What does that mean? You can't understand it. Greater than your understanding. The peace of God, which is greater than your understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Check those against your thoughts. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. So what temporary things should you put aside today? What thing do you need to lay down? What part of the hope that God gives do you need to preach to yourself again and again? Let me share this last to finalize. Let me share this uh, part of Timothy's letter. 1 Timothy 6 6 through 19, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is, what? Truly life. So again, what temporary thing should you put aside today? In what way can you submit to God in a way that you've been withholding this week? In what way can you trust him? In what new way can you trust him for something that you've been relying on somebody else for? Put your focus and your hope and your faith in Christ. Thank you.